Welcome to the podcast of Azel Christian Church. We are a Disciples of Christ Church community in Azel, Texas. We invite everyone to be who you are with us, the doubting, the believing, the wondering, and everything in between. On this podcast, you'll hear our pastor, Reverend Ashley Dargai, preach on how the expansive and generative love of God is seen through Jesus, the prophets, the early church, and the faith forebears, and how this love helps us care for the world more deeply and faithfully. Sometimes it's messy and tough, but it's good news, and it is for you. Our scripture is Psalm 137. It's on the back of your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and there we wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung our harps, for there our captors asked for us songs and our tormentors asked for mirth, saying, sing us one of those songs of Zion. How could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand wither. Let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem's fall, how they said, tear it down, tear it down, down to its foundations. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart Be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Wait, that's not what it says. What does it say? O daughter of Babylon, you should... No, 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 that can't be right. The Bible can't say something like this, surely. I'm going to pull out a real deal Bible. Look up. No, that's what it says. Okay. Yikes. All right. We should finish this psalm. I suppose I should issue a content warning here. Violence against children. Okay. Here we go. O daughter Babylon, you devastator, happy shall they be who pay you back what you have done to us. Happy shall they be who take your little ones and dash them against the rock. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Really? That's what we're going with. Okay, I'm just clarifying. I used to sing this psalm a lot in college. I went to a Church of Christ university. So we'd sing our a cappella version. By the rivers of Babylon. And then we'd get to the crux of the psalm, right where we just broke up. How could we sing King Alpha's song in a strange land? So let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord. I used to think it was a really nice song until I stumbled across the real deal a couple years ago. And then I was like, wait, what? I mean, we all know that the Bible has some pretty terrible things in it, right? I mean, anybody who says differently has clearly not read Judges, or Ezekiel, or Habakkuk, or Amos, or some of Paul even. 
I mean, Genesis alone has some shocking content. So next time someone says to you, the Bible tells us to all get along and God is love and it's all very clear and that's it. You can rest in your smugness knowing that they have not even finished the first book. <laughs> but this particular psalm is a big yikes, right? This is liturgy. The psalm is a song likely sung in worship, like a collective song, like the whole assembly singing together, like Jenny fires up the piano, Nicole steps up to the mic to lead us in, and we sing that last line with gusto, Selah. I'm cringing, even joking about it. I thought about setting it to the tune of Jesus Loves Me to really make a point, but I was afraid that I would be smited. And I don't even believe in smiting. Maybe we should back up before I have a conniption. Psalm 137 is one of the only psalms of all 150 of them that can be dated. So the rest of them are approximations, guesses, shrugs. But this one we know was composed either during the Babylonian exile, so 587 to 539 BCE, or immediately after. And I know that feels like a million years ago. BCE time is like the twilight zone in my brain. But this is a big deal. We have a hard time dating dinosaurs. And here we are giving a 60-ish year window to a psalm. And if the nerdiness of that fact does not interest you, I get it, we're moving on. But the particularity and specificity of this psalm is what we need to remember. So if you can access the far recesses of your mind, you will remember that the story goes that Israel finally got a king and gets to be like everyone else. They have the action figure that everyone else does in their class. And we start with Saul and move from there. Some kings are good, but most of them range from eh, too terrible. They build a temple thanks to Solomon. Shout out to the rich and wise king with questionable marital morality. He had like a million concubines. But then big scary Babylon comes to town and old Babylon is crushing kingdoms and taking names. Jeremiah and Lamentations both detail the atrocities of what happened when Babylon arrived on Israel's doorstep. And let's just say that the Babylonians' actions at that time inspired the last verse of Psalm 137. The Israelite people were slaughtered, carried off to Babylon to be enslaved, and the very, very poor people stayed behind in the rubble. Ruins that contained a toppled temple, the site of what was the center of communal and religious meaning-making. And according to this psalm, the Babylonians taunted the Israelites, telling them to sing a song of Zion for their entertainment. Like slaveholders demanding dance and song from those they systematically trafficked and enslaved. Like the Nazis forcing the Jewish people in concentration camps to sing the songs of their people as a cruel joke. The Babylonians demanded the suffering, grieving, traumatized Hebrew people to sing the songs that were only reserved for the holiest of days, in the holiest of places, in the most treasured time of their hearts. 
And how does one sing a song like that? Of course, the Israelites resented their sacred songs being treated as objects of mirth for their tormentors. These songs were not made for entertainment, but for the survival of the people of God. They were formed in the crucible of suffering this people had endured in the past, having first been led out of enslavement from Egypt, across the wilderness, depending only on bread from heaven, and finally into the promised land, having lost whole generations along the way. These songs are not for taking lightly. They are not something you can just set to any old tune and use a fiddle or a harp at the whim of an oppressor. And yet, the history, the mythology, the very stories of identity that passed from generation to generation in the Hebrew people began as campfire stories, as camp songs. How did they pass along the promises of God as a nomadic people and then as a people weathering the tumultuous reigns of kings? They had something like a barbecue and sat around the fire and began, this is my flashlight, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Before anything was created, God's spirit was hovering over the waters. Boo! And the story charted Father Abraham's journey from Ur across the wilderness, followed Joseph as he was betrayed by his brothers and became a captive of Egypt. They told the stories of the military conquests of King David, leaving out the questionable decisions of Israel's own acts of genocide and devastation. The theme of all of these stories is God's faithfulness to Israel. The refrain of every step in the journey is God is with us. So the Israelites seem to be in a predicament. On one hand, they are not going to sing the songs of Zion in God-forsaken Babylon for the entertainment of their tormentors. Obviously, end of discussion. But the only way to hold on to their shred of identity as a people, to keep intact the fragile threads of connection, is to sing the songs, to tell the story. For that is where hope comes from. They sing to remember how to hope. And as painful as it is for people to remember Jerusalem at this time of acute trauma, it would be more painful for them not to remember. Their hands would wither and be unable to pluck a harp or strum a lyre. Their tongues would be paralyzed so that not a note could they utter. Remembering keeps them moving keeps them going, even as it feels like they are walking on broken glass. So, they sing, we've got a tune for you. 
we remember how our neighbors, the Edomites, not only watched as Jerusalem fell, but they cheered Babylon on. May God visit you, Babylon, they sing through clenched teeth, in the same way you have visited us, diddly-doo. Divine retribution, violence against everyone you love, diddly-da. Suffering and hatred and torment so that you may feel everything we feel. Selah. Looking back at the version I was given in college of this song, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. It seems like the one who changed the lyrics did not think the Israelites' version was acceptable in the sight of God. That kind of prayer was not appropriate, apparently. Now, don't get me wrong. I do not think that a host of mostly white, middle, and upper-class Protestant Americans should be singing about genocide. Not a good look. But it does feel like the alternative, sanitized version of this song was a critique of a certain kind of prayer, certain kinds of feelings, certain ways of engaging with the unutterable pain and anguish in our hearts. And it's not just the Church of Christ. I mean, when's the last time you heard this complete psalm in worship? I have never heard it read in its entirety, and it's been shut out of various lectionary rotations. Because it seems like a lot of people don't know what to do with this kind of uncomfortable prayer. This longing for vengeance as a response to suffering and oppression. Better to shove it way down and ignore it rather than confront what is going on here in the psalm. That seems healthy. But I wonder if honesty could be a pathway to holiness. Like, if we can't bring our truest, grossest, most horrific thoughts to God, then where do we go? What do we do? Because according to what we have read here today, misplaced longing can lead to hatred, violence, control, vengeance, It doesn't seem like bottling that stuff up is fermenting into fine wine, but rather this toxic sludge that's either going to seep out or explode. Perhaps it is wise to invite God into our worst inclinations. Might it be an act of profound faith in Emmanuel, God with us to entrust our most precious hatreds to God, knowing they will be taken seriously. Now, just because the Israelites said they wanted terrible things to happen to the innocent children of Babylon does not mean God was going to do Israel's bidding. God is not a slot machine. God is not Santa Claus. We cannot coerce or manipulate or boss God around. Jesus gave a big LOL to that notion and slipped through the angry crowds every time. But I wonder if this psalm, in its shocking ending, 
gives us permission to say the unsayable to God. To not feel like we have to give a happy ending to every song we sing. To not feel compelled to end every single prayer with, but I trust you have a plan, God. You work everything for our good, God. All shall be well, great God of heaven. Those things may or may not be true, but God does not need the ego stroked or the bows tied to hear our prayer. Holocaust survivor Elie Wiesel, who wrote a memoir of his time in Auschwitz, said that he can tolerate the memory of, si the memory of silence, but not the silence of memory. We can remember in silence if we need to, but we must resist efforts to silence those who remember, to silence the remembering within our own hearts, within our own community. Last week we talked about how the answer to our longing is hope. But when all we see ahead is devastation and despair, that hope comes from looking back and remembering. And if singing is how we remember our story together, who we are, where we are headed, what we are even gathering here for today, then may we sing, even if the song is unsettling, even if remembering means we feel pain or discomfort or grief or even shame. May our honesty become a pathway to holiness. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Azel Christian Church podcast. Azel Christian Church exists to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through meaningful liturgy during worship, a public witness through outreach in the community, the nurturing of the spiritual life of every age group, and the witness of each member through discipleship, baptism, and the sharing of resources. To support this podcast and the ministries of Azel Christian Church, visit azelchristianchurch.org. Here you can contribute through giving online or find our Venmo information. If you're looking for a church or simply want to talk to one of our ministers, contact us through our website and we will be in touch. Talk to you soon.